I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who works with all earthlings to reunite them within themselves and with each other, regardless of the dimension they're currently in. Meaning, I'm a medium as well as an animal communicator, medical intuitive, and channel for all beings. I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support animals and humans as they heal from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals I View podcast. Science and their ilk, the ists, as it were, scientists, and all the other ists, are, of course, rooted in the spelling of the ending, I-S-T. By definition, it is, because you know how I love my spelling, someone who performs a certain action, as in violinist, produces a specialized thing, as in machinist, specializes in a specific art, science, or skill, the aforementioned, of course, scientist, biologist, ethologist, etc., and one that adheres to or advocates a specified doctrine or system or code of behavior, also applicable, I think, and perhaps uniquely so, to scientists. In contrast, perhaps a little bit, if we look at the action of the violinist, there are certain types of violins, and thankfully so, then, a broad range of how those violins can be played. Maybe they all grew up playing in the school orchestra, as did my two sons, the cello and the clarinet, respectively, and likely they all learned about the treble and bass clefs, the notes which may be considered perhaps a system of music, at least as far as humans are concerned, which is, pun intended, key. And in this last, I would dare say that music is one of the apps, if you will, of the operating system of sound worldwide, because it is universal to all species and across all elements, which is really fascinating to me. Sound waves penetrate earth, water, and air, and although we may not as humans hear all sound waves in the way, say, that dog does, we still embrace how sound affects us and can lean into how sound may affect other species. Echolocation comes to mind, for instance, like for bats, dolphins, and others, which is sound that is reflected, I submit, of forms of energy which may then be interpreted by the echolocator as the body deems appropriate. And while music for humans may have had growth pains, going from cave people playing of bone flutes to rap and hip-hop, there seems to have been enough room for everybody, and enough room for upgrading, if you will, the OS of sound via new applications of music. The joke from the Blues Brothers movie comes to mind, as far as music goes. Oh, we've got both kinds, country and western. (laughs) Again, I submit it's because it's energy-based and so universal and whatever resonates with you in terms of creating, playing, and listening is up for grabs because as it's guided by the body, I like this, 
I don't like this. This resonates with me. This is my jam. Again, pun intended. It's all an individual experience, which is the whole point. There was a meme that came across my Facebook feed this past week that was so appropriate for today's podcast. The art was by Banksy and the quote not attributed. And if anyone knows, please tell me. And the quote is this. Science should stop analyzing animal intelligence and start studying human stupidity. When I searched the interwebs, there was, of course, variations on the theme, notably most of them political. It does remind me of the quote by Nikola Tesla. The day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than in all the previous centuries of its existence. And that's just it, right? We as humans, and no need to pin it on just the ists in science, because as a species, we're complicit in our worship at the altar of science, although most of us, myself included, are more C&E people. And if you have somewhat of a childhood religious background at all, you will understand the adult reference. Because truth be told, it is a belief system of how the world and our galaxy works according to our species alone. We don't ask snake, lizard, or elephant for earth information. We don't ask dolphin or whale or starfish for water information. And we don't ask eagle, hawk, or seagull for air information, do we? We consider the physical world surrounding us to be dictated solely by what mostly men have decided is so for thousands of years, and in spite of that fact, we have also heavily borrowed from, much as early religions did with pagan rituals, those attributes from other species and by extension the wisdom of the planet to claim as our own and as only belonging to humans. So that we might develop a human-centric OS as a means in a way to control other species. Because they couldn't possibly understand the exalted mind, right? With such clear limitations on their own intelligence. And while this last of the wisdom of the planet may seem a bit of a reach too far, the more I do this work and the more closely I line with and serve animals, the more convinced I become that our species is certainly not the most stupid, because that's using the, the, the wrong yardstick, if you will. Our species was meant to follow the lead of other species as their guardians and stewards simply because we have the ability to illuminate their wisdom for all to share. Something along the line of opposable thumbs. And of course, if only we can get our own act together first, right? Certainly throughout time, there have been leaps forward by scientists, beginning with Darwin's book in 1872, aptly titled and intriguingly, I would say titled, The Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals. And even with the title, I'm not sure how we didn't stick with leaning in the direction of aligning more with the emotions instead of with the intelligence. Then again, in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. What better way to continue to preserve our operating system with a comparison of our brain to their brains and as always coming out on top? It's as if our hubris cannot literally stand to be considered equal to or kel horror 
below, say, the brain of the dolphin, who, if we're measuring just by size alone, which, you know, we often do, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, far surpasses our own. And when Darwin's protege, George Romanes, who, quote, studied animal learning and intelligence using an anthropomorphic method called anecdotal cognitivism, which was not scientifically supported, it does seem based on my perception that we're headed in that direction again, meaning that scientists are again beginning to toe the line of anthropomorphizing animals as a means to honor the underlying instinctual need of humans for bridging the gap between our own bodies and the reason why we're all here. And for this last, I'll follow the lead of the animals in their viewpoint. Here's what they would say. As each of us is in separate physical form within our species and subspecies, that alone tells you, or it should anyway, that we're each on a separate mission on this planet that we share, emphasis on the word share, and that while each form will interpret the external planetary OS system differently, we are all still guided by the same internal processor of, dare we say it, soul and the path of soul. The meaning behind the consistent existential angst of the moan and wail of millions of humans wanting to know why, oh, why am I here, where so many of our species, the non-human animals to which you so unkindly refer to us as, are able to be born with an innate and intuitive understanding that we are both past, present, and future of our species. This is because we do not deny our own nature as you have for so long now. And yet as the sunflower turns toward the sun, sunrise to sunset, so too will your species continually return to how the heck do we fix the soul body problem? Because your own body is united with soul and will tell you, On this planet, above all others, the two must be united without tribal authority of any one entity over its domain and for all to explore as you choose, united as one. Well, that's kind of a give them an inch sort of a thing. I'm kidding. They know that and I hope so too do you, dear listeners. And the thing is, we do have a resurgence of the anecdotal cognitivism, which science rejected back in Darwin's time, the definition of which is a psychological methodology that attributes mental states to animals on the basis of anecdotes and on the observation of particular cases, other than those observations made during controlled experiments. The purpose is to understand by what means animals interpret external stimuli from the world around them, and subsequently, how and why they act on that information, which is most definitely anthropomorphism, which science rejected once before. And at the same time, and well, not exactly, but close enough, back in 2012, we had the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness, which I've referenced here many times before, that stated... Simply because animals have no neocortex, which is supposed to be the center of consciousness in our human-centric OS, this doesn't mean that they're not unaware of who and how they are. I'm paraphrasing, of course, and I'll put a link into the podcast notes so you can discern for yourself if I'm on target with its definition and meaning. 
In point of fact, about the neocortex and the brain being the only center of consciousness for all species, because we for sure have made that generalization, leading to, naturally, our creation of the concept of mind that only humans hold, there are numerous cases of humans not having all parts of the brain. One recent article from the New York Times was entitled, The Curious Hole in My Head. The story of a woman born without a temporal left lobe of her brain, that means, of course, she can't possibly be capable, by definition, of language, memory, and recognition of emotions. Needless to say, the body has on a whole, as well as separate different organs other than the brain, the ability to bypass and or reroute and or accommodate, if you will, the energy, my word, to different systems. So one might be turned up more in volume if another one is turned down more in volume. And generally tweaking away at the body's own OS so that it can stay on the planet for as long as it's supposed to stay, which of course is predicated on soul path and which of course, say it with me, is way above our pay grade. So how is it that 10 years after the Cambridge Declaration that landed with, as the podcast title suggests, it may be seen as a bit of a one-liner and not used by many ethologists, those concerned with drawing conclusions about the intelligence of animals, by definition, who are back to the days of Darwin and using anthropomorphic studies of a dog named Fido or a cat named Fluffy and their exploits as if to say, look at this fabulous story of me and my iguana and how I learned everything I needed to learn about life from my iguana and so you too can learn from our story. Yes, I jest and yes, I poke fun in a bit of a barbed way. And on the other end of the spectrum are articles and books that, again, more or less toe the line because that line is simply not to be crossed that address the cognition of animals. In other words, the brain, the intelligence, as well as learning to decipher the vocalizations, my word, as well as the animals, as we attempt to learn or perceive that this, in fact, is their language. Because, after all, language is how we govern the world and how we communicate, and so, too, in our human-centric OS, must all other species talk with each other. So, it must simply be a matter of translating these vocalizations. And so, while I submit that vocalizations of different sounds are a way to externally communicate between animals, what comes before always is the telepathic communion becoming one with a member of that same species and or the communion with a different species even as predator and prey comes first, as it always will. The animal's possessive plural default is unity among all, diversity second, which is the exact opposite of ours. And so let's see here. 7.77 million species of animal mammals, give or take, to one. So let me repeat that. That 7.77 million species of animal mammals to one species of human. Who do you think has it right? And honestly, it's the studies of animals, which, of course, as I've said before, creates an us and a them. 
that animals protest the most, as if by studying a human apart and separate from other humans, or maybe thrown together simply by the way that they behave, ethology, and making it into a cute story, or as if that iguana or human was the poster child for all animals and or iguanas or humans everywhere. Which, of course, when we're talking about humans, sounds ludicrous, right? We would talk with the human or humans in questions. We would find out their particular verbal language because that's our OS of communication for the masses, or perhaps use written language, still also in our OS, in their particular dialect. And yet, because we refuse to, or perhaps lack the imagination to, take that big toe, I'll settle even for a small baby toe, over the line into multi-species telepathic communication, which is only one language, y'all. There's no written language necessary. The app used is the body's nervous system. And here's a surprise. When you talk with one individual iguana, remember, our default and preference is individual, so that's what we use, you can actually connect with all iguanas or iguanae, as in collective iguana if you so choose. So this sickly sweet, the animal's words, not mine, use of human emotions, anthropomorphism, as if to say, the only bridge you want us to use is forcing us to fit into your emotional wheel, literally. And so we're not entitled to feel the way that we feel, separate and apart from the way that you feel, as said by a fair number of animals with whom I work every day. And truth be told, the animals know that this research is only used for human advancement, as in the recent pandemic research postmortem, on finding out what other viruses remain compatible with animals and pose a risk to humans. How is it possible that we're only willing to see one side of the equation without looking at the soul, for lack of a better word, or energy, part of the equation, when it was only our species that was so affected? How is it that we're vilifying these bats and other animals whose bodies are, frankly, misappropriated by humans, and we conveniently forget that humans are always at the bottom of whatever well on earth in which we find ourselves and other species drowning? How is it that the best question a human researcher can come up with in studying canine cognition is that, quote, it will tell us something important about what makes humans special at Yale University? This was from the Smithsonian Magazine a year or so ago. The animals and I perceive that this is because we cannot deny and will keep cycling back to the inextricable union of soul with whole body awareness. They say awareness, by the way, is better than consciousness because consciousness is a trigger for us of mind, which they don't acknowledge. Because we feel this all of the time, this union, and we deny it all of the time. And we create belief systems such as religion and science in order to separate and parse this union because we feel it all of the time. And to a certain extent, it freaks us out all of the time to imagine there's no heaven, as Lennon wrote. 
because we simply cannot stand the fact that this earth, whose beauty and magnificence we downplay all of the time in our reductionism of its parts, may be all that there is. And because it is, in fact, (laughs) all that there is in this moment, we refuse, even in the contrast, to seek out the partnership of light that is just waiting to be revealed. In short, for the animals, it's all or nothing, which is, as we can all observe, how they usually live their lives, unapologetically with respect and reverence for all of the relationships on the planet and not putting any of their species' particular behavior or vocalizations or blame on each other. Because that, of course, is about honoring the diversity of all. And I, for one, hope that science and all of the other ists of biology, ethology, etc. will hop on board the soul train, as it were. We're missing the mark by a mile, and in denying the wholeness of ourselves, we in turn deny their wholeness as well. Surely, we all deserve more. At least, this is how the animals see it. Thanks for listening today. Leave a review if you're so inspired and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service and to schedule online via www.lizanneflynn.com. Come find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I encourage you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter on my website where I also post notices for upcoming events, the starting date of courses in the Animals Eye View Academy, and online psychic fairs. Tune in in two weeks' time where the message of harmony is already waiting from chimpanzee. This has been the Animals Eye View Podcast. I'll see you next time. Thank you.